Everybody see this rock? Yes. How, how is the word of God like a rock? Solid, foundational. Oh. Can hurt you. Can hurt you. Can. <laughs> so it can hurt. It can hurt you, or it can help you. Right? It can build on it, or it can crush you. That's good. What else? You can build on it. Yeah. You can build on it. Another thing about a rock is it doesn't really change, right? I mean, you can break it up with great effort, but for the most part, it doesn't change. I remember when I was out at uh, this residential facility working out there. It's called Shepherd's Hill Farm in Georgia. You're out just in the woods uh, in Georgia, and they had this like campsite down there that the kids stayed at, and there was a little river creek that ran through there, and there were these, like, this was a little creek. You have to picture this. This tiny creek, but ginormous rocks that were in it. And it just looked funny. I was like, so I asked the director, I said, like, who put the rocks there? And he goes, God. <laughs> and because uh, and it, like, it looked so out of place, it looked like somebody must have moved it there, but they, they've just been there. And who knows how long they've been there, right? And so it stays the same. And that's something that's true about God's word as well. It stays the same. And Jesus, of course, says, those who, who hear and act, hear what keywords and act, on his words, and there's a summer on the mount, are like those who build on the solid. solid. Yeah. And so, um, so not only then is the word of God in a general sense like a rock, but the gospel in particular, in Jesus' words in a specific sense, are like a rock. And I want to talk to you about that because oftentimes when we talk to think about calling, right, we put a lot of focus on ourselves. And I think that's a mistake we make. And I think it's a big temptation. And so if you think about the reason why we exist, we were made for God, right? So if I put God up here, and we were made for His will, His purpose, right? His plan, His glory, right? That's why we exist. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God is to be made in the image of someone else. It's to reflect the glory of another. But we all know how things started. It didn't work out so well in the beginning because instead of doing things God's way and doing His will, we did things our way, right? And instead of putting God at the center of our existence, we put self. Uh, a biblical phrase to sum this up is each one did what was right in their own eyes, mm-hmm. right? And uh, instead of saying what God said is true, is what we said was true. And we began to focus. We, we went our own way. And so we did our own thing, however you want to say it. You know, that was sin. We, we, we quit fulfilling the purpose for why we were made in glorifying God. And instead, we glorified ourselves. But yet we know that the story doesn't end there, right? It says, while we were yet sinners, that sin, that selfishness, and all those things that separate us from God. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I want you guys to think about this. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2 says that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. At the heart of the cross, when Jesus is fulfilling his mission, when he's restoring mankind back to God, he is denying He's laying down his life. 
And in doing that, he's, he's, he's glorifying God. He's doing His will. He's exalting God's purpose. He became obedient. Obedient to the Father, right? At the expense of Himself. And that's why we exist. And we find purpose then in the cross of Christ. And He actually shows us what it's like to live for Him. And He's the be-all, end-all. He's not just the means of our salvation. He's the point of our salvation. He's the Alpha and the Omega. You know, the beginning and the end. He's our Lord and our God. He's the be-all, end-all. We were made for Him. And I think the temptation sometimes, when we start thinking about what is my calling, is we just keep thinking about instead of thinking about God. Mm-hmm. And it goes directly against our very purpose for why we exist. And if we get that calling wrong, it's going to be so hard to get any other calling right. And if you look at your chart here, and that's why this one's at the bottom. It's the foundation for which all other callings exist. And if you think about this calling here, I mean, isn't this the beauty of the gospel and Jesus' call for us to be disciples? If anyone would deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, right? That's the call to follow Jesus. It's denial of self. And in fact, Romans chapter 12, if you want the perfect will of God for your life, I mean, say this to to the people you disciple. Do you want the perfect will of God for your life? Then present yourself as a living sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Deny yourself. Because that is why you were made. And as we go through some of these things uh, in this session today, I want you guys to think about it. Not, and ultimately, we do have to think about it in terms of our own relationship to the Lord. Are we doing this? Because that means we have to have integrity as we make disciples, right? And so we, 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 we follow the Matthew 7 principle of examining ourselves you know, before we examine others. But I do want you guys to be in a place today where you're examining the way you disciple people. And how you point them towards Jesus. And so that call of the gospel is a foundational call for which all other callings exist. But the word of the God is a, is a rock in another way. And it's that all callings are examined against the scriptures. All callings must be weighed against the scriptures. And either this thing will shatter it, like Dave said, right? Or it will be something they can build upon. And it establishes it. And that can bring a lot of confidence to what you're doing. That can bring a lot of hope. That can bring a lot of encouragement. Or it can rightfully get rid of some things, right? I had a guy, me and Brian had to go over to a gentleman's house um, because, uh, and meet with his wife because God had called him to leave his wife. That's what he said. He said God had spoken to him. There was no infidelity. There was nothing like that. Um, his biggest complaint was like he wouldn't follow his lead his leadership, his spiritual leadership. And uh, so he was leaving. And God had told him to do this. Like God had supernaturally told him to do this. And on the wall behind him, they had these, be- this, they had these scriptures hanging from these banners on the wall in a beautiful house. And it was 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And Brian points at it and he starts reading it. And he says, if you would just do this, you would be okay. If you would just do this, just do what's written on your wall, build on the rock, you would be okay. And the idea that a subjective calling, whether it's from my, coming from my own spiritual life, whether it's my own opinion, whether it's from the secular world, any subjective calling has to be measured against the rock. Yeah. It absolutely has to be. And we have to teach our disciples to do this. Guys, it is not natural to do this. This is part of discipleship. 
Jesus says, go make disciples. And what does He say after you baptize them? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Teach them to build on the rock. That's the job. We have to teach them to do this. We can't just say, oh, the Holy Spirit will take care of that. I can't, I'm going to outsource my responsibility to the Holy Spirit. He'll cover it. No. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you to make disciples. Right? And so we have to have a vested interest in that. And I think even like when I'm listening to that session yesterday about having a, having a burden, you know, we need to have a burden for people to want to build on, build on that rock. And so, you know, if my friend who was leaving his wife would have read 1 Timothy 5.8 that says, you know, anybody uh, who, who uh, neglects his own family is worse than an unbeliever, that might have brought life to his situation, right? And so he could have said, you know what, I, I heard something, but the rock shatters that. The rock shatters that. I'm not going to build on that. I'm going to build on the rock instead. So the Word of God becomes a foundational place. And here's another one I hear a lot too. You ask somebody to serve in your church. And I'm not talking about the person who's already doing 10 different things. Okay, I'm talking about, hey, there's a person who's not serving. I'm going to ask them, we need help over here. I'm going to do some discipleship. Hey, will you come help serve with this? Ah, you know what? I don't think I'm called to that. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Um, what are you called to? <laughs> you know, let's get you serving there. Uh, and then, um, but there are subjective callings. And those callings are good. But what I often find is the people who build properly on the rock that have that calling of Christ right, that have the family right, that are in right relationship with the local church, that are loving and serving people in their own life, they're the ones who really find their gifting, their specific gifting and calling. Because there's a foundation for that to take place. And they've learned through doing that there are certain things by the graces of God that they're particularly good at. Right? And it's so much easier when you're discipling people that when they're doing some of the fundamentals, if you will, or some of the general callings. And a great passage is Romans 12, because it talks about the perfect will of God. And then Paul says this. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And he says, let him, because we've all been graced in different ways to serve the body of Christ. Everybody has a a specific calling. Let him who serves, serve. You know, let him who exhorts, exhorts. Let him who, who gives, do so with generosity. And, and he goes through his list of things. But then he moves on and he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And he gives these things that are true for everybody. In other words, nobody gets out of doing any of these next things. And he says, be devoted to one another in love. Show hospitality to one another. Meet the needs of the saints. Persevere through tribulation and trial. Those are things for all believers to embrace. And what I often find is a person who's embracing the general callings of one another, all the, the, the one another passages, there's 184 of them in the New Testament. And uh, when you embrace the, those one another passages, oftentimes those people find their specific gifting and calling because they're building on the rock of Christ Jesus. And so helping our people we're discipling lay a solid foundation in the Lord goes a long way towards them finding anything specific gifting. And it puts our attention squarely on Jesus where it should be. So let's talk about some practical things with this then. I have a good quote there from John Micklefield. He helped us develop our, one of our purpose statements with what is, the, what is the local church at our church. And it says, The local church is a dynamic community of Christ followers who are called by God to grow together in worship, fellowship, and purpose for the advancement of God's kingdom. And step number one for any disciple, step number one for any disciple, if you look at my chart here, you guys can kind of see where I'm going with the 3, the 12, and the 120, right? But at the center of that is Jesus. We have to help them keep Jesus at the center of that. Not themselves, but Jesus at the center of that. And one really practical way that you can do that, that'll emphasize 
the rock is on this other page. And I'm not going to go through every single one of these here. But at the top part here, you have scripture. The middle part and the bottom part are two different prayers that the Lord teaches. Okay? And, um, and so, but with the top part, this is, and the beauty of this, this is it comes from the Bible. Okay? This is a biblical way to approach scripture that comes from the Bible. So it's a great tool to give uh, to give people your discipling because if you just teach them to memorize uh, this passage, they'll have a platform uh, for which that they can do personal devotion each and every day. But this, first, I want to talk about this first one though. It says teaching. This is really important. It is tempting for believers to have a devotional life that isn't centered around the objective meaning of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's scary. If somebody's, and I'm not like I, I read books. I've gone through more books in the last year than I've ever in my entire life. Okay. But I haven't replaced the scriptures with any of them. Okay? And if someone's devotional life is reading books all the time, even if they're good books, I don't care if they're your favorite author, you know, John Piper, whoever it is, it doesn't replace the scriptures. If they're just in books all the time, there seems there's a fundamental problem with that, you know? Because the word of God has to be the rock. Right. And so how can we get the rock? Well, what is the objective meaning of scripture? And this is important because we are going to get to kind of this listening to the Holy Spirit here in this next section here. All right, because the scripture says, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, okay? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good deed. And that's, that's based off of the, the God-breathed scriptures, okay? But before you get there, it's important that we understand what do the scriptures actually say? Because the danger is if we jump quickly to our theology or quickly to our own opinion or quickly to a famous Bible teacher, whatever it is, yeah. if we jump there too quickly, we might be missing the very thing God has for us and the objective mm-hmm. meaning of his work. Right. And so I had, a, I had a very, very, very godly lady, and she's still a very, very godly lady. And uh, we were in home group, and we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. And this wasn't even the point of our time together. But when we got to the section that says, that talked about if uh, you're going to present your, altar, your, offering, your offering at the altar, and you're, uh, you're reminded that your brother has something against you, go first and be reconciled to them. And she goes, what about if they keep doing it, though? Like, what if they keep doing wrong against you? Do you have to keep forgiving them? And so we had this very basic conversation on uh, forgiveness is without limits because that's exactly what Christ did for us. I mean, think how many times you told God you're sorry and you've done the same thing again. You know what I mean? And that's the same type of grace that we need to extend to other people. And she responded to the Lord and she got on the phone right at the end of home group. Kind of like everybody's talking and she's on the phone over here trying to like kind of be off to the side. And she's talking. She's in a, in a different language. I don't know what she's saying. And she's talking to somebody, making things right. And she responded to the, the, the rock of the word. But we can be in a place sometimes if we're, if we're quick to jump to our own opinion. We might, we might read a passage like that and go, well, there's exceptions to it. It doesn't apply to my situation. But this lady did something different. She let it bother her. She let the plain meaning of the text disrupt her a bit, right? And she responded to it. And that's what we're supposed to do. And we need to do it prayerfully. The great thing about rebuking is that it, it, this part forces us to make this a prayerful exercise and not just an academic one. Because now we can go, Jesus, is there anything I'm doing here that violates this passage I just read? Please show me. Search my heart, O oh God. You know, then correcting the Bible's never, God's never interested in us just stopping something. He wants us usually to do something. You know, the greatest commandment's a positive, love the Lord your God. It's not just stop hating people, right? So what can we be doing instead? And then this is the most important one. Those who hear and act 
doers of the word, trainers of the word, are the ones who build on the rock, right? So we can do this, and this keeps Jesus at the center. And basically what I'm asking with this side, guys, is you have to ask your disciple, do you have a secret life? And that means daily and secretly meeting with Jesus every day. If the person has a secret life with Jesus, these other circles that we're going to talk about in discipleship, the 3, the 12, the 120, they're going to be useful in those circles. If they get along with Jesus one-on-one, they'll be useful in ministering to other people. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we become that church that's building up one another in love to the full stature of Christ. Right? But it starts there, that one-on-one with the Lord. Jesus is the ultimately the person that's discipling each and every believer. And so we come alongside him as we do it. Uh, who here is involved in what I call mentorship discipleship? You meet with people that look to you. Okay, good. And so as we talk about this, the, the three, it's important as you guys are mentor disciples, disciplers, okay, you're mentoring other people, that you make sure that they have other people, peers, that they have traveling companions, an inner circle they're confessing sin to, they're encouraging each other in the Lord. And this is the most simple way for them to start discipling other people. And you're not asking them to be a mentor discipler like you are. Not everybody's ready for that, okay? But you are asking them to take responsibility for their brothers and sisters. You're asking them to be their brother's keeper. All right? And, you know, you get to three, the idea from uh, Peter, uh, uh, James, and John. Jesus had an inner circle, right? When he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he brings the inner circle. When he does uh, one of his uh, miracles, he makes everybody leave, but the inner circle. Um, and so when he goes off to pray in the garden, he lets the inner circle come a little closer. And so we can have an inner circle. We can have trusted traveling companions that we let a little closer into our spiritual life with Jesus, right? And they need, every believer needs this. And the beauty of it is, again, you don't have to be this super spiritual person that's able to mentor other people. You just need to be a, a, a believer who's walking the walk and encouraging your brothers to do it, right? And the, the key thing about traveling companions, though, is everybody in the inner circle needs to be invested in the inner circle. You know, if they, they think of somebody, oh, this would be a good person, but that person doesn't really want to be in the inner circle, move on. <laughs> you know, find somebody who actually wants to travel, <laughs> be in that inner circle with you, right? And so, but it brings life. It brings life to one another. You become your brother's keeper. And that's a, that's a form of discipleship. Sometimes you think of discipleship one-on-one. Mm-hmm. The scriptures think of it much broader. That's true. And so the next one is uh, small groups. Small groups are a key, key part of discipleship. And there's several reasons for that. It's not so big that you can just float through and nobody notice you. But it's not so small where you can dominate the time. Right? If, I talk, if I'm in my group of three and I talk 33% of the time, I'm a really good sharer and a really good listener. If I'm in my small group and I talk 33% of the discussion time, I'm, I'm kind of like dominating the time. Right? The purpose of these small groups is mutual care for one another. How can we care for the needs of a little bit larger group? In a small group setting, you get to find out needs. You guys as a group get to come together and meet needs. You get, to find out, you get to find out amazing things just from the discussion times that we have, all the scriptures we have. And, uh, and oftentimes there's follow-up that happens off that. You say, hey, let's get together because you just said something that I, like, I know like, I really need to minister to you. Right? But being part of that, that small group time is an opportunity to, to, to participate in the body of Christ on a little bit larger scale. The next one is the 120. 
the term church, this is, this is your local congregation, this is your Sunday gatherings. You know, the, the term church translated from the original, you know, the word means congregation. When, uh, you know, William Tyndale uh, translated, you know, the English Bible from the original language, he translated it congregation. That's what it means. And the church has been congregating since day one, since Pentecost, where they, they're gathered together praying, right? And we've been doing it ever since. And it's important that people are part of that life. If you have, and, and what I want you guys to kind of get from some of this is get your disciples to be invested in all those different circles and, and, and try to recruit from one circle to the other. You know, if you have somebody coming to your, your small group, but they're not in your larger group, recruit. Like, see those as mission fields to recruit them to other circles of discipleship. Because there's things that happen in the 120, namely the preaching of the word and then the corporate worship together. Uh, you know, those are important parts of discipleship as well. And they, that's really, really important. And there's been so many times where, you know, things can be said. Things can be said in a sermon. Things can be preached in such a way in a sermon with the 120. That's a lot harder to do when it's the small group. <laughs> okay? And, and much harder to do when it's one-on-one or one-on-three. And they're going to get some things that they're going to be able to apply that they wouldn't otherwise. And so that's, all these circles are important, but recruit from one to another. And as you guys, as we go through some of this stuff, and we're going to get into do some discussion time here, but as you go through some of this stuff, I don't, my goal for it is, is what are some things that I can add to the tool bag here mm-hmm. in making disciples? Yeah. I just have a question. I understand the, why you choose the number three and the number 12. Yeah. I don't understand where the number 120 comes from. Uh, the gathering of believers in, in Pentecost, uh, Pentecost. There was 120. I believe it says 120. It, it does? Okay. It yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, I, I, and I'm not the first person to come with this analogy. Some people do the, the three, the one, the three, and the 70, you know, for the 70 Jesus sends out. But there's, you, could, you could divide it other ways. But the local, the local church together as a whole. And, um, and so, yeah, you have the 12 disciples, right? You have the three from the inner circle, and you have the one. You have Jesus at the center. And so, um, but we're, we're called, you know, we're called to make disciples. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. And I want you guys to think of this very positively. What are some other things I can do to, to increase and grow discipleship in areas where I'm responsible? And we did a, I did a discipleship survey uh, at my church uh, last week. And it was a anonymous or seven questions, very basic questions. And I gave it to the, I gave it to the home groups first just to see if some of the, the results are different than from... Uh, people that are just coming on Sunday. And but through it, I found out we have about 109 people in our church on any given Sunday. And we have about uh, 48 people in home groups. And so that means I have a lot of work to do in recruiting people from here to here. And yet you're a better percentage than a lot of churches. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So this was like, for me, this was like a, this was like a wake-up call. You know, and so this was like, and not much a wake up call as an opportunity. Like this kind of got me excited. Honestly. I was like, okay, like I got, I got something to do. And I think going from this circle to this circle is extremely important yeah. because this is the difference of somebody just kind of being a Sunday Christian, potentially, not necessarily, yeah. but potentially being a Sunday Christian to having to go a lot deeper with the Lord. And so um, there's different areas ways and ways you can examine this and how to how to grow that discipleship in your church. And so. Here's what I want us to do. Um, I want us to break into groups of four or five. So we could do three groups here, okay? And I want you to, I want you to have people that aren't from your church, though. Because what we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going we're to ask some simple questions of each other. What are some things your church does well that puts Jesus at the center, that, that, that emphasizes the word of God and discipleship? 
Okay, and in all these various circles, whatever it can be. This is a broad, intentionally broad question. All right, what are some things your, your church does well with discipleship that puts Jesus at the center and that emphasizes the Word of God? And I want you guys to share some things your churches do well. Then, when we're done with the collaboration time, I want I'm going to ask each group to share uh, at least one thing. Uh, with the group as a whole, so that we can kind of equip each other with some best practices. Does that sound good? Great. Yeah. So go ahead, and we'll just do it. We'll. Uh, we, I don't know if we can do it in rows, but you're probably sitting by people from your church. But 